Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to the latest episode of Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today, I'm talking to Sam Ovet, who is the co-founder of Mobile Pocket Office. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Great. So I'm, I'm really interested to know, can you just tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and um, how you've got to uh, founding Mobile Pocket Office? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, funnily enough, it's, it's pretty non-traditional, but my background is uh, after, after getting a degree in college, I, this, I was a professional whitewater kayaker and guide. So I spent a lot of times in the outdoors taking a lot of risk and guiding people through that experience. Um, and then around a certain point, I decided that I wanted to be on the digital side of things. I didn't want to use my, my uh, body to make my money. And I, it was really clear that automation was taking over the world, as we all feel. And uh, I wanted to be on the right side of automation. And there's a bit of backstory there around co-founding this with my dad, um, who had a lot of history in business analytics and process. And so we decided that we'd join forces, do something together. I'd become really involved in the marketing side from the outdoor sports perspective. Um, and I made a shift, just kind of a deadpan shift. I said, I want to do this. And I made the, made the shift and we launched Mobile Pocket Office. And I can, there's the whole story of how we actually, you know, kicked that business off and everything like that. But the bottom line is I went from being a professional whitewater guide and kayaker to, you know, a complete automation nerd. Wow. So, the, I, I mean, there's so much in that. I, I'm intrigued to know for a start, you know, wh- which was more stressful, you know, being a guide for people in whitewater kayaking or um, launching a new business? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if everybody's asked it quite that way. You know, what I always say is, you know, there's a lot of stress when you work with someone's business and, and it's their livelihood and other people's livelihoods that are their employees. But at the end of the day, Nobody's going to die immediately that day. The, the risk of dying that day is very low, whereas in the other, the risk is there and real, and you can drown. You know, it's the primary thing, and, and seeing that happen. And so I would say that it's less stressful in that acute way. Uh, but I think on a daily basis, you know, when you get off the river, it's all good joy. And when you're improving somebody's business, there's a lot more stress. And I have a lot of real, you know, I get really involved with these projects. So <laughs> I think the stress is a little higher here, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's an interesting comparison. Nobody's going to die today is, is, is um, I, I guess, that's an optimistic right. view. <laughs> but um yeah, and you also started a business with your dad. So, so how did I that did. work out? So that's a whole story on its own. But I think it's um, you know I was looking to make a shift, and he had he had long uh, worked on the business analytics side of of business process with enterprise clients, um, and he was ready to make a shift and wanted to have a little more fun in the the process side and focus more on the sales and marketing process because that was always something that he enjoyed doing, but. A lot of his work was in the analytics side. Um, and so I had, I had been real involved in marketing automation when I, as an athlete because I was automating some of my uh, social media stuff and things like that 
and I'd, I wanted to make a shift, and so we decided to kick this thing off together um, as partners. And, you know, it's challenging working, or it can be. It can be challenging working with a, um, a, a parent, in my case. You know, the dynamic is one that we had to figure out. One of the core things, I'll share this because I think it's interesting, is we had to figure out how to, how to effectively um, debate an idea down to a better version of it. And it's easy in the relationship for, as a father, right, for him to say, you know, Sam, that's not a good idea. We're not going to do it. But the reverse is more challenging mm-hmm. uh, for me to tell my father, hey, hey, Josh, this is a bad idea, you know, and here's why, right? It can become a very personal attack, like feeling that way. So one of the, one of the things that we worked out as we did this outside of just the, the I guess I'll say the kind of quote-unquote standard things that go along with growing a business is how to communicate about ideas and problems and solutions um, so that we weren't, at the end of the day, it was, we left going, hey, I love you, you know, <laughs> you're my dad. And then for him, you know, you're my son, and that was always more important. And so at first there was a lot of friction that was generated, and, and you know, we get a bit upset at each other, and then we learned uh, to say, hey, you know what, it's not personal. We're going to do what we call a catalyst session, and we're going to catalyze this idea down to a better version of the idea. And it's not personal, but it's all just about getting ideas better. And the way that has improved our business and also our relationship has been pretty cool, and I think something that has come out of this outside of just the business aspect of it, you know, the relationship side of it. Well, that, that's that's really cool and really good to hear. I mean, th- yeah. this this approach, this catalyst session, is that then something you're able to use with your clients as well? It really is. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, let's take an idea. And you can you can ask questions around this, however is interesting. Let's take an idea and, and let's try and distill it down to the better version of the idea. Let's cut through the crap, right? And let's let's try and throw out the bad stuff and keep the good stuff and... and Iterate this till it's a better version. And that can be really, you know, when you have an idea and it's your baby or it's something that you came up with personally, to be attacked on the principles of the idea um, can be, can be, feel really personal unless it's stated up front. Hey, this is a session to bring an idea to a more distilled, better, workable, more simple, but more effective, you know, state that we can then execute on. And so, Doing that, and I think anybody can use this process with any any relationships they have, whether they're personal relationships or business relationships. And for us, this has been just a, a I mean, really a game-changing way to communicate um, to get to a better idea because that's the hardest thing. Is, you know, you offend people, they get upset, the timelines slow down, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's you can't run a business like that. You know, it's too slow. It's, it's not going to work, so... If you can have a method, say, hey, let's do a catalyst session and get this idea down, then everybody walks away and goes, yeah, you know, you're not attacking me personally. We're just trying to distill an idea. That's awesome. So, I mean, let's take a step back first. And let's just think about, you know, the business mobile pocket office. Absolutely. Um, I I mean, when you started it, what did you think it was going to be? What did you really want to achieve? So the thing that we wanted to achieve with it, and here's basically we saw a, a gap, a hole, you know, Josh was working for years with these enterprise enterprise clients, um, and the gap that was always really visible, and I saw it in the outdoor industry that I was in heavily at the time. That was my, you know, kind of my realm 
that I was involved with um, was this idea that like in enterprise and in most businesses, what we see is people are really good at their fulfillment. They spend a lot of time looking at the fulfillment process, right? Because if you can't fulfill whatever you promise that people are buying, that's the fastest way to take an existing business, right? Not necessarily the fastest way to grow one, but the fastest way to tank an existing business. Yeah, you don't deliver on whatever your promise is. Um, that, that's not good. So people focus on that where the opportunities are missed is in the sales area where you have a lead. That's come in, right? You figured out how to generate interest. And then the process from lead to converting to a sale, that's the biggest opportunity that is just usually just completely wasted it has a lot of human effort involved and what most the majority do that we've seen until they're introduced to this idea of that hey you can add automation and process to this is they focus on you know who's the hottest lead now right what's the best account what's the best deal and that's the focus and everybody else who could potentially be a really good customer is forgotten about until that person eventually maybe comes back and says Hey, I, I want to do. You know, I need a big order, right? Because that's your focus. That's how you. That's how you make your commissions, and that's how you survive. And so, we see the just complete lack of focus on nurturing people and following up with people, especially at the enterprise level, because you're after the big deal. Whereas you could be nurturing, you know, maybe a hundred little deals uh, that could become bigger deals over time with automation and some process in place. And we see that that hole was just, it's glaring. You look around and, and it's tough to navigate politically too in an enterprise because you're, you're trying to implement technology with automation and that's always a challenge to get everybody on board when there's a lot of human sales people involved. Interesting. I, I, I mean, the thing that fascinates me is you said, you said it was about automation and processes. I mean, most of the enterprises that we see have, you know, more automation packages than than they could possibly use to help automate marketing and sales so so is it about the process or is it about you know getting the right automation package so it really is about the process because when well what do you mean when you say automation package let's open that up for a second so i mean typically typically you might see you know a large enterprise have you know marketo connected to salesforce i mean they're spending huge amounts of money on on the the systems to run both marketing and sales that's right and so and and that's what we see too and it's absolutely the case is what i tend to see is that like they they usually have the technology right and the technology is usually there for them um but it is not usually leveraged in a way to enhance process and make it easier to be kind of this bionic human salesperson that's supercharged with the ability to follow up and in the enterprise world i see they usually have you know uh they do a decent job getting their newsletter out right to the different segments of clients they're pretty good about that and and usually they're using marketo and salesforce you know uh, like you could with uh you, you know you could kind of do the same thing with mailchimp almost and and so they're just pretty underutilized usually they've spent a lot of time designing the visuals of the database, right? But not necessarily thinking about how do we follow up with people at different stages of the sales cycle when business needs to be repeated. A lot of it's just some kind of really basic trigger or list. 
and they're still building reports that aren't dynamic and have paying somebody to build those things to say, oh, who, who should we follow up with? You know, who should we, who's time for the recurring, uh, and like, let's take a manufacturer, we have to recertify certify something, right? Oh, it's time to get this person recertified. Okay, let's all send them personal emails. And then that gets tracked into the CRM system. So they, they use these modern tools, but largely, and this isn't, of course, there's, a, there's always the outliers, but largely they use them as like old school CRMs, just a, a place for the information versus using it to really drive process and follow up. And that's the opportunity loss that we see the most. Whereas you've got these folks who are, I call them like hand-to-hand combat salespeople, right? They're going out to trade shows. They're doing all these things that are the, they, they're effective, but they're also kind of an old school way of, of selling. Um, they go out, they get a stack of business cards, and then they follow up with the hot prospects. And all that information is in the CRM system. And then, you know, that person's getting the newsletter, maybe, if they've got them on the right list. But outside of that, they're not really following up with the different specific product lines and things that they could be interested in and making sure they're introduced to other parts of the business that they that, that prospect could then buy after they've bought the first thing and educating people. Because the old school role of a salesperson was to largely outside of closing you, was to educate you on your options. We have the internet now. We have technology that can help you do that. And that's the gap. That's the big gap that we've, we've really worked to fill when, when we're working with a company. And then the rest flows from there, right? You have process that's all downstream of that initial stuff. But the, if you can get your conversions up, then you're basically saying, hey, we're doing this amount of work to go out and generate leads and interest in people being excited about our products and you're getting more effectiveness more efficiency out of that top of the funnel work that you're doing interesting i mean the 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 thing i i wonder about is you know these these sales people and marketers that are large enterprises they're smart people why are they not seeing the problem and addressing it so here's what, here's what we see. Usually the marketers in a company are excited about it. They want to do it, but they get pushback from the salespeople uh, because salespeople naturally want to guard their, you know, their hunters. They're going out, they're hunting a good one. They naturally want to guard their deals. Um, and they don't necessarily want to tell everybody how it's done. And that's okay, but if you can equip that salesperson and make them a more bionic salesperson where they could be following up with hundreds of prospects at a time that are somewhat interested in, they're going to have the opportunity then to have more closing calls versus prospecting only calls. Um, I kind of went around the question there a little bit, but I think the big reason it's an issue is because the bigger the enterprises are, typically the slower they move and there's more politics. And so, you know, if you're a medium-sized business, you can make decisions and just put them in place pretty quickly and your, your, your biggest challenge is bandwidth. But if you make the decision, there's not a lot of pushback politically uh, within an organization. So the bigger you are, the more pushback you are, you might, you know, we see people get, um, the more consensus you need to change the way things are done. And I think that's why it moves largely slower. And that's also why you see some of these really small digital oriented businesses just crush it because they can make di- businesses decisions so fast and changes so fast 
that they're really effective at that, but the you know they don't have the um, market presence that some of these enterprise companies have, and that's where enterprise companies really have a leg up. They've got branding, market presence, all of that, but most of their marketing is usually sort of PR-oriented um, marketing versus automation-oriented marketing, and you can have both. So uh, does that kind of answer the question? We can have discuss no, more about I, I that. I thought it was a, a great answer. I, I love the idea of that ratio between closing to prospecting calls. I thought that was yeah. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, like that's as a salesperson, what do you want to do? You want to be on, you know, if I can be on a closing calls all day long versus out hunting, like if marketing does a good job, I've got leads, right? And after that, it's up to me. Usually they get passed off, but they're not followed up with. And the salesperson, just by the nature of time being constrained, they're going to go after the hottest prospects, the biggest deals. That's going to be top of mind. And if you don't have any kind of automation to follow up with all those other semi-interested prospects that probably would buy something as long as you maintained, you know, top of mind presence with them and educated them about how the product or service benefits them, the amount of sales you could close and closing calls you could be on, I mean, you can have your calendar booked out way more than you normally would. Uh, so that sounds great. I I mean, you've, yeah, you've that, that talked, does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just like, you know, I, I can imagine every salesperson listening just going, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I want. I'm going to be on closing calls all day, making my commissions, right? That's that's the magic. And so if you can put that automation in place and buy into it and say, hey, I, I want to leverage these systems and not keep all this stuff in a little notebook to myself and just put in the minimum that I'm asked for, you know, what a good automation team and it's usually driven, oftentimes driven out of the marketing side of things, is going to do is is they're going to help you close more deals. And so if you can feed that information back to them, well, they're going to help you find better prospects. They're going to help you create longer-term follow-up. And I think every every salesperson has heard it, but like the magic is in the follow-up, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not that you're closing a deal on the first call. That's like, you know, sure, that's lovely, but like, that doesn't happen most of the time. It's a it's a follow up game, and a, any good salesperson knows that, right? They're real good at follow up. Yeah, and absolutely. So take that idea and take the busy work of follow up, which is manually sending that communication and getting it out at the right time, so that someone's actually got a customer journey and experience, and automate it. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. A lot of ways to look at it, but the core idea is that if you can follow up better at that stage of interest to converting to a sale over the course of at least an average sales cycle make sure you maintain communication you're going to generate more business you're going to close more deals so i, I mean we've 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 had a a bit of a pop at uh, some of the enterprise companies yeah i mean is this a, an enterprise specific problem or, or are there similar problems with smaller and mid-sized companies yeah, no, it's definitely not an enterprise-specific problem and in any way. Um, it just happens to be pretty acute, and um, I think the, the <laughs> I almost call it like the lead waste, right? Like the number of leads that come in mm-hmm. that are then just wasted in enterprise companies is more noticeable um, because they generally have more interest and inquiry. But it's the same with a small business, and it's actually almost more important in a small or medium-sized business. That's kind of a huge range, especially here in the U.S., you know, what's classified as a small business. Um, But 
the bottom line is like, if you could follow up with every one of the leads that come in and you don't have to hire more people to make that part of your business scale, then all the effort that you do for marketing and getting interest, which is probably the hardest thing anybody can do in business, right? It's like getting interest in their business, getting that awareness. Well, then you're, you're going to increase the efficiency or like the effectiveness, you know, the percentage rate of people who are going to become customers by following up. I don't care what you do. It can be the most basic follow-up. You know, you can get very sophisticated. You can branch logic of if they do this, if they do that. But at the, at the end of the day, if you follow up versus not for a longer period of time and educate people and remind them that you're there, see if they still have the problem that your product solves, you're going to win more business, no matter what kind of business you are. So it's not universal, it's, or it's not specific to enterprise. It just happens to be enterprise is, you know, it's a fun place to space to play in because they'll spend more money to solve the problem. Um, but it's, uh, it's not specific. It's actually, I think, a lot of times easier to implement these solutions for a, a little bit smaller business because there's less politics involved and they, they tend not to compl- overcomplicate it because they just want the result faster because it's, it's a little more pressing need. Brilliant. No, I, I, and I think this leads on to the to the next question: is if someone engages with Mobile Pocket Office and starts talking to you about a solution, I mean, do you have a process? Do you have an approach? I mean, how do you go about fixing these issues? Yeah, and we do. We do have a process and approach because without it, you're kind of like willy nilly all over the place. And the, what we've found and what we've done, you know, is we're always adapting our processes as well, but. Uh, let me give you kind of the framework of how we think about this with people because it's something that people can, can you know, you technically don't need us to go use this framework, right? We help catalyze that process. We have experience across industries, so we, we pull that experience into the experience um, to, you know, because you don't know what you don't know in terms of what's going on. But there, what, what you can find out is where do you have opportunities for automation, right? And we talked about that specific conversion phase of sales, you know, leads to sales. But I'm going to give you the full picture because this is what we do with people is we, we say, okay, if you want to automate things and you feel like you can benefit from that, you've somehow gotten this idea, you know, you want to follow up more, whatever it may be. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at your, your business. We're going to go, okay, there's, there's five pillars. Any business, doesn't matter, size, industry, scale, everybody's got them. Some are done better, some are done worse. You gotta attract new business, right? That's that marketing work of generating interest. You gotta convert that interest. So that's the convert state. So attract, convert into leads and sales. And then you've gotta fulfill whatever you promised. Then the good businesses delight their customers by offering uh, ways to use the product better, keeping up with it, uh, giving them new opportunities to buy more from them that, that benefit what they've you know, complement what they've already bought and help them as a customer, and then re- referrals. So those are the five pillars: track, convert, fulfill, delight, refer. You with me? That that sounds great. It sounds, I, I mean, somewhat reminiscent of um, the HubSpot model. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you'll see it across a lot of these different tools, right? They talk about it in these kind of pillar ideas, this like buckets, and, and it's a great way to think about it. And so we really, really. You know, you, you, it's common to see it, and it's, it's for a re- good reason, because then in those buckets, you look at those and you go, 
what are my processes within these sections of the system of our business, right? What do we actually do within these? And that's where it starts to break down. People get that picture. They go, yeah, we know we attract, convert, fulfill. Maybe we delight. We get some referrals or like maybe we have a process for referrals where we consistently ask systematically. But uh, where people get stuck at that point is where do they, how do they find out what their processes are today? And how do they figure out of those processes which should be automated? And let me lead you down that path because this is what we do with folks. The first thing is we, for the funny thing is like we do all this digital automation and we implement it, but we take this very analog approach. We, we have everybody print off um, a, a spreadsheet for three days worth of 15 minute intervals. And so just for three days, you give everybody on the team and you can do this in smaller chunks too. Like if you're just working with the marketing and sales team, then you, you know, you're working with your attract and convert, not your fulfillment mm-hmm. as much. And so you'd give them this spreadsheet. You say, okay, what, what we want everybody to do is just fill out, what do you do every, every 15 minutes, make a note of what you've done throughout the day for three days. And you have to position it that like, we're not going to use this to say you're not productive. It's just to understand what processes you do throughout the day, what constitutes the work of your business, right? What actually makes up your time. And now you have a pattern and some people need to do it a little bit longer. Maybe you need to do four or five days or like you have cycles, you know, you you came back from a trade show. What do you do after that type of deal? Um, With coronavirus, those are largely like not a thing as much, but you just look at what do you do? And now that you've documented that in a, we call it a personal activity log, a pals sheet, which is a name we've assigned to it. And now that you've documented that, now you understand your process within the system, right? And you may need to do that, like I said, in different phases of the business year, stuff like that. But you'll understand, okay, here's the busy work. Like I'm moving this information from here to here. I'm sending an email to this interested prospect, blah, blah, blah. Now you have your process. And two things come out of that. One is, of that, what is effective today? What works? What gets you new business? Right? Um, If we're looking at those top two Mm -hmm. stages. Once you start to understand what works, those are things that you should start to look at and go, okay, that works. How much time does it take me to do that? And of it, what can I automate? And then that's when that, and only at that point is when we start looking at the technology tools involved to make the automation happen, right? We're trying to design the house first, so to speak, and then get the appropriate tools to build it versus finding tools and then building a house. So once you understand your process, now you know what you can automate. And then you also see, this is where it's hard to do, or it can be hard to do without someone else who's seen it across different industries, is, is where are their gaps, holes, and opportunities to improve the process, make it more robust. You know, in this case, we talk a lot about the follow-up longer, make it branch so that the logic makes more sense for different customer segments, and driving that using data and also turning it off at the appropriate time so that people aren't getting communication when they shouldn't be. And then you can do that for each segment of your business um, that attract, convert, fulfill, delight, and refer. And so if we start there, if we get that going well, we increase your conversions, well, of course, then you know, you've got a fulfillment issue that you have to deal with because you've got increased <laughs> fulfillment that you have to do. And then delight and refer, those all kind of go together. But 
that is literally the step. So you look at that and then we use a digital tool called diagrams.net. I think it, the name changed recently. I'll have to find it. But um, to actually map out what you do after you've documented that process and that's actually like a call that we have. And now there's a really clear picture of what goes on to run the business. And at that point also you get this benefit that it's easier to train somebody new because you just documented how the business runs. And then you start to put numbers to the value of automation. And there's two opportunities for automation. One is, and they both help you scale, but one is one that saves money, right? Where are there holes in your process where you're leaking money because you're, you're paying more people to move information around from one system to another, right? That's a leak. That's money you can save. So automation can save you money in that way. Mm-hmm. and allow you to scale um, and free up humans to do more creative work, more interesting work. And, you know, occasionally people lose a job. That's the unfortunate nature of it. But like most humans want to do interesting work. They don't want to do repetitive stuff. Um, and so, and given, give somebody that opportunity, they're probably going to flourish, be more excited about their work, all of that. So that's just the side benefit. But the other is where can you make more money, right? How can you be more profitable? Because you're not communicating. You're not capturing people's attention and converting that to a sale. And so those are the two big things. So they all relate to scaling, but one is saving money, one is making more money. And then on the, and I'll, I'll, you can ask some questions after this, but like on the saving money side, that one's pretty easy. You go, how much time are we spending doing this? On a, on a weekly or monthly basis, whatever the timeline is that makes sense for the process. And, you know, what do we pay for for this to get done? What is the person who's doing this? What's their time billed at? Or what do, we, what do we pay them at? And if we automate it and we pay for it once with an automation tool to get it built out or we built it out, you know, then you can do some basic math and understand the savings. So it's interesting. You seem to be... Um looking at it from from both sides of that return on investment equation you know both reducing the amount of money you have to invest uh, to implement a process and also yep. increasing the return by making it more efficient yep exactly and so you know the basic idea where you can think about this is like on the saving money side someone who's doing administrative tasks that are required to make a business run if the majority of their tasks can be automated and you pay them anywhere between you know, let's say $50,000 a year or something like that, right? And all the healthcare that's involved and all that. And like, generally that person's also doing other stuff. Most of the time they don't just do uh, rote admin work. In fact, the majority of the time mm-hmm. what we see is like that person is overwhelmed with stuff to do. And so if you can free that up, then they're going to be more focused on the more, on the higher value items. But at the same time, it, you can think about it like, well, if we invested that same amount once to build out the automation, then we don't have, and the automation never takes a holiday and never gets sick and all those things about automation that, you know, where computers are different than humans, then you've invested that once versus having to hire maybe another person or pay that person to do those things year after year inconsistently most of the time. Yeah, so that's that's fascinating. I, I mean, I guess one of the pushbacks you hear against automation is that it creates inflexibility. Once you've coded that automation, you can't change the process. 
is that something you hear from from clients and what's your response i'm glad you brought that up because i actually we, you know we don't hear that because we take people down a different path but it is um it is a problem and here's how you address it and we live in a day and age where the tools are not what's so fat fantastic right they are fantastic in what they do but they it's it's the strategy around it that's more important so if ever we see somebody going down the path of trying to custom code something where it's fairly inflexible and it's not relatively easy to modify, we, we try and hit the brakes and stop them because we live in an age where the tools are so, the interfaces are so easy, you know? I, we do some custom coding with folks, but largely it's the strategy around the automation and the value that it provides to the business. That's, that's the real magic and like mm-hmm. tweaking it till it's better and better um and i can talk a bit about that but the main thing is that you know kind of like my my public service announcement is is don't code anything that you don't have to use drag and drop builders use these easy to use tools they're out there you know when you have to code stuff you do but the ecosystem of tools is so strong nowadays that you should be able to use a tool that's with a few clicks allows you to modify the process versus lines of code. Um, and so the at the end of the day, like done well, we turn the systems over to our clients and give them methodologies to improve the systems so that they can track the effectiveness of it. And then what I love to see is like you have at least one or two smart people on the team who are smart in the realm of these tools and they're gonna they're gonna be able to make those tweaks internally and you know typically what happens we sometimes we'll do it for folks but we just guide them on the the strategy and help them make decisions once the big implementation has been put in place the infrastructure's there that's that's great i think that's you know what uh, i mean like you shouldn't be coding nowadays (laughs) anybody who's like who's writing code is like you should be writing code if you're building a new system for somebody that is like then you're going to sell to a bunch of people but if you're just using a system to try and automate some things unless you've got a super complex situation that just can't handle it uh then maybe you need something custom but the the reality is like on the sales conversion side you're probably you not gonna run into you're gonna run into unique things and you might have to adapt a little bit but like you should be able to adapt around and use the tools that exist today fulfillment's a different story you know fulfillment gets kind of a more custom experience a lot of the times mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. But fulfillment stays less fluid. It's is less changing. You know, if you have a product or service, you can usually you're pretty happy to invest in the fulfillment automation because you know how that works. It's consistent. But what you want to tweak is you want to tweak that that experience in the in the in the attract and convert stages for sure. So yeah, don't be coding. Use 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 the like easy to use tools. Um, and, ha- and and have them, you got to set them up. You got to think about how you set them up, right? There, that's the deal, right? Because like you can buy a Salesforce, you can buy a Marketo, you can buy an Entreport, you can buy whatever these tools are. You can buy a HubSpot, but if you set it up like a pile of junk, you know, and don't utilize it well, that's where you're going to go. Oh, this thing doesn't really do what it's promised, right? It does do what it's promised. You just got to design it for your situation. Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. Um, 
I, I, I'm interested. Do you, do you have some examples of, you know, perhaps some customers you've helped and how you've helped them out so you can perhaps explain a little bit as to what it feels like to work with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the one of the customers I'll mention in the enterprise realm is uh, JX Nippon. So they're a bigger company people know. And they've got a bunch of different business lines. Um, one of the one of their headquartered offices here is in the for one of their lines in the United States, in Georgia actually, and they have a in this. So I'll talk about one of the products, which is the um, people probably. Do you guys know Tyvek over there? Does that ring a bell? Um, like the siding of houses, stuff like the waterproof membrane on the side of houses? No, no, we don't. But, but um, if you think about a building, right, and yep. you see a house being built, you see that like when it goes up, there's like that plasticky looking stuff on yep. the outside. We'd call it a damp course over here in England. Okay, yeah, so damp <laughs> course. So you take that stuff, and that's one of the things they make, right? They make a version of that. Um, you know, of course, they think it's superior and, and things like that. But that's besides the point. They have a team of salespeople that were going out to trade shows. They're reaching out to prospects. They're trying to find dealers, you know, who are, who are working with larger accounts. And they had Sugar CRM. Enterprise people probably know that. It's an mm-hmm. older CRM system, you know, pretty flexible. You can do what you want. Not, not crazy uh, easy to use like some of these newer ones, but it's a CRM system, right? And, Unfortunately, most of these tools just get used like CRM systems anyways versus actual marketing automation and sales automation tools. But they would go out, they would meet people. This was in the time of trade shows when we did this one. And the same can be said for anything virtual. It's just following up. They would go out and they would get a list of prospects and people would become interested and then they would only follow up with the hot prospects. And it was all scheduling via email, you know, very cumbersome. And they would take these business cards, they'd import them in manually to some Excel spreadsheet, if they even did that. And then the rest of the business cards would live in a drawer on their desk when they got back from the event. So there's a lot of opportunity waste, right? All these cards could be potential customers, but they're only following up with one or two hot prospects because that was, you know, how they, they were meeting a quota and helped them reach their goals. They had no automation around follow-up. And so a really basic but but very effective example in their case was to start there at that aspect of it, which was understanding that, helping them understand that they could, you know, automate pieces of that where, hey, now you can just use your phone, take a picture of the business card in this app. It pops it in to, uh, you know, in their case, a, a tool like Sugar CRM, and that talked to another tool that could send some automated emails that could educate somebody with some videos and information on a uh, like 60-day sales cycle, so it spanned that whole gap of time with information about the product, right? So you never were forgetting about that person, and then each of the emails had an opportunity to schedule a call because they were still... You know, we didn't didn't take it to the extreme where they were buying online in their situation. They were still closing that deal and doing doing the custom deal on the phone. But what they were doing is everything leading up to that closing call was able to be automated, where all the follow-up was education-based. It was bringing the customer into their world. And also the primary thing in their case was just not forgetting about people, right? 
you met them at a trade show, everybody goes back, and then a few days later, everybody forgets about everybody they said they'd follow up with except for the you know, hot lead. And so now they had gone from one or two you know, really interesting prospects per trade show to following up with all the business cards they got, and so they were able to increase the conversion ratio of people simply by maintaining in touch because the, you know, the, their competitors were doing the same thing trying to follow up, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases manually. And then, so that's one step of the process. And also took the burden, we introduced a, a calendar scheduling tool that allowed them to schedule those calls with people more effectively, more efficiently, less back and forth busy work of, of sales time. Um, and so their effort could be focused on closing calls. The other side of that was understanding, in their case, the relationship to customers and referrals, right? Where did referrals come from? How, how did they get referrals? When people refer them something, what, what, was the, what happened? Like what was the process that was experienced? And based on that, building process to remind them when it was time to send an email, in their case we kept it still kind of manual, about asking for a referral, right? Which is at a certain stage in the journey. So you just delivered something, the customer's happy, they've got what they want. You just find that, that point where the biggest joy is in the customer's experience, right? Or the something has just been fulfilled on a timeline. That's when you need to ask for that referral. And so just by reminding and putting process in place to ask for referrals, they were able to increase their referrals quite a bit because of process now being in place to remind them through some pieces of automation, hey, it's time to ask for a referral and, and, and bugging the salesperson to remind them while they're in the middle of whatever hot lead they're talking to, you know, closing, deal making, whatever that is at the enterprise level, which can, you know, it's, it, that is something that can be part of the, you know, part of the process is making that deal and it, that can consume time. And so if we can automate everything else around that and remind the sales team, hey, you have an opportunity for a good referral, right? You've just, you've just, you're, the fulfillment team has delivered the product, right? It arrived. Everything's, they're happy. Then now is the time to ask for that referral. And that's a natural way to increase business in, in an amazing way. And it's, you know, the marketing's effectively free for that next lead. So those are two examples out of that. Mm. Any, any questions that come out of that? No, I mean, that that's, that's absolutely fascinating and i'm sure people listening would be you know really interested in talking to you and working out how it could be applied to their business so i guess the yeah. the question is how would how would people get in contact with you if they they'd like to follow up after um listening to you on the podcast yeah well that's the easiest way you go to mobilepocketoffice.com um and on the front page we've got a big book now button you can you can book a call and that's a call with josh and myself um and then our team is, you know, we, we manage the implementations. I, I, I primarily manage all the implementations once we've done the strategy work. Um, and then we QA that, but we have a team that actually does the building of it. And uh, so that way we're freed up to, to do the things we, like we talked about, which is to be on those, on those calls, you know, prospecting and, and closing calls. Um, so we kind of eat our own dog food in that way. So... It's real obvious on the site. Book now. You can book a call. It's got an automatic scheduler, and it, it books it all on our calendars. It puts it on your calendar, and it's it's really easy. You know, we use automation to our benefit there, there too. 
So actually doing what you preach, which is great to hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Sam. It's been been really interesting. It's certainly um, uh, great to hear someone talk about how to use tools effectively rather than just the features of tools. So uh, I really appreciate your time on the uh, uh, for the interview. Thank you. I'll leave people with one other thought, just one thought to kind of wrap it up is don't try to make a lot of big changes all at once. It's hard. Make a lot of small changes. And also that'll get, especially in an enterprise world, that as people see those quick hits of results and, and it's easier, things are faster, they take less time, they're, they're more consistent, they'll be happier to do the, the next thing. And before you know it, you'll have covered a lot of ground. Perfect. That's great advice. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.